Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Holiday Leftovers, Part 6, Civility, recorded Sunday, December 10th, 2023. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Well, good morning. We are centering our attention this month on that New Testament psalm that was written by Paul. It's found in 1 Corinthians 13. Our goal this whole month is to take on the, the holidays by, by, letting, by letting love be the thing we leave behind when all the packages have been decimated and the, and the paper's all strewn all over the floor and the scraps are left in the refrigerator, that, that if we can leave behind love, then that means Jesus remains too. And so that's the theme of this month. And I want you to, if you would, just read along with me. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll read it together. Join me if you would. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul uses phrases, patience, kindness, not boastful, not proud. Several versions say not rude. So This morning, there's a third principle of love that that we're grasping that includes those descriptions and more, and I think it's the word that encapsulates all those things. The word I want to use this morning is civility, civility, and there's a word that's the opposite of civil in our pit bull culture, and it is troll, And I'm not talking about the billion-dollar kids movie franchise. I'm not talking about J.R. Tolkien novels about magic rings. I'm talking about people who make a life out of rudely destroying the character of others. And I think you know the the term is usually attached to the Internet, social media trolls who incite anger. They're found in every media, everything, whether it's, you know, politics or or whether it's social media, whether it's sports media, they're found everywhere, everywhere. A troll wants to get a reaction and create controversy. 
and a troll makes inflammatory comments for the sole purpose of upsetting people and provoking a response, usually an angry one. Trolls operate in the freedom of social media, but they're nothing new. Alexander Risenkamp says trolls are like what existed in the early 19th century in Europe. And here's what he says. America has increasingly become a country where people salute their brethren only. Comment sections of internet outlets are reminiscent of mountain battles during the First World War where Austro-Hungarian and Italian troops would take up position in neighboring valleys in the Alps and lob enormous shells at each other across the peaks. Once the dust settled and the many casualties were counted, however, their positions would remain unchanged and there would still be a mountain between them. Online, Americans are stuck in their respective trenches from the safety of a digital dugout. They angrily throw missiles in the direction of the other, incapable of moving beyond their poisonous stalemate. Fighting someone online invariably leads to a no-win situation. And even if you manage to shut them up, all you've done is create a winless moment because the brief sugar high comes at considerable societal cost, a cost to your community, to your country, and hence to yourself. And then he concludes, by now, it's no secret that America is a divided nation. And you've just helped deepen the rift. Bluntly put, a divided country is a weak country, vulnerable to attacks from its enemies and unable to deliver for its people. It's united we stand, not divided we stand, for a reason. Now, I admit, it takes, it takes every last drop of self-control to sometimes not step screaming into that argument that's happening, whether it's online, whether it's, you know, in a, in a conversation. But then what? I mean, like, who wins in that situation? I mean, really, they, they don't win, I don't think, and I don't think we, I win, so that means we're all losers. And, and internet trolls are one thing, but when they sit in a worship setting with us on Sunday or, 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 or whether if we're that person or if it's my niece around the, the holiday living room and, you know, we're going to politics again or, or whether it's my neighbor across the fence or my colleague in the New Holland workroom, whatever it is, I mean, we both lose. The vitriol and rhetoric and posturing just points out to a great need that we have. The need is civility. Civility is how Jesus' people discuss competing philosophies and opinions. Civility is not running from hard conversations and differing views, but it does mean showing respect while at the same time sharing, listen, a positive hope for our future. It doesn't mean we're backing down. It doesn't mean we're running from controversy. It doesn't mean we're cowering to the screamers and the haters. It doesn't mean that. But civility is how I treat people I'm at odds with. Responding in a way that represents the Jesus 
who's changing my life. As a matter of fact, let me just summarize it by saying this. Civility is being a good person to live with. And that directly ties to love. Love is not rude. Love is not easily angered. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Don't we need more of that? Don't we, don't we need more civility on our internet? Do we? What do you think? How about, how about in our news shows? What do you think? How about, it, how about in our debates? Debates matter. Don't we need some civility? What about our politics? What about our boardrooms? What about our schoolrooms? What about our workrooms? Don't we? Okay. The Jesus way, and therefore the way of his people, is civility. The way we speak to each other. And, and I want to make this clear. I think we can be confused. I mean, I know I, I had to think through this. Like, civility is not a personality trait. So it's a personality trait that you have if, like, you're like, oh, I kind of like a good debate. I'm not afraid to step into a conversation. That's a personality trait. Or I hate conflict. I will avoid it at all costs. That's, that's how I'm wired. That, that's, that's personality Civility is a character trait, not a personality trait. Civility is learned or acquired. And Paul makes this case in many ways. He describes how we are being changed as Christ's followers, and because of that, our character is changing. Let me just read a few passages that show this. They're all in Colossians. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Colossians 3.8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. We treat people politely with civility because God is treating us differently and we recognize it and it changes us and it brings something new to us that we can give others. Now, I can hear some of you thinking this. You're, like your eyes may not be rolling, but your brain's doing one of these. The guy's so naive. There's so much division and hate. He doesn't live where I live. I can't stand back and let them win. We have to stand up for what we believe. People will even say, well, the people that wrote that Bible, they have no clue. They have no clue what we're up against. Really? I mean, you don't think there was racism and division and classism and political division and broken government and hateful neighborhood dynamics and cities that were exploding back then too? Either you don't read the Bible or you're naive. 
Paul is teaching all believers for all time the same lesson on how to deal with faction and disagreement. Civility. Our new identity reflects it. Let me read another passage. I, like, I, really, I really centered on this this week in my own study. Went through it many times. Needed to, okay? Colossians 3.11. Here, here, here in our new lives as Christ ends here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. In other words, those divisions are supposed to disappear in us here because Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. I mean, bear with each other in our new identity and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive how? Come on. As the Lord forgave you. Well, all these virtues put on love, which, which binds them all together. In perfect unity. Can you see how this could happen? Like, can you, can you get a vision Jesus' vision for your life where he actually makes you a different kind of person. And all this incivility that you're surrounded with, you could like be a little lamp or a light to be the brightness in that darkness and dissension. Can you see it? Just recently I had a couple conversations that made me think about this. One was with a friend and we were talking about how political crazy, crazy season is unfolding right before our eyes again. And my friend said, Scott, I just had to stop listening to cable news. I just had to stop. He said, like, it is making me angry. It's making me depressed and hopeless. This is a man of deep faith. I'm talking about a guy that, that I look up to with his faith and his encouragement. But whether we're the ones who are angry or we're witnessing it from others, I think we can all relate to that. And it seems like in our age of outrage, we're all just polyticked off. You know what I'm talking about? Like this, you know what I'm saying? And yes, the Iowa caucuses are just a month away. A while back, someone else told me, she said, you know, I'm getting off Facebook. And I said, oh, finally the never-ending cat videos got to you, huh? She likes cats. And anyway... She said, no, I, I used to like Facebook because I could keep up with people and, and I, could, I could find out what's happening. And, but more and more, I just get angry and frustrated and I feel ugly. Maybe you had an experience where you didn't want to go to a family gathering because you knew it was going to come up again. It was going to be the religious views of that person or the cultural traditions that are different than yours or the politics that are so differing than yours, or the sexual ethics that seem like you're coming into all of our families. And you don't want the anger, and you don't want the division, and you really don't want to engage in it, but you also know you have a hard time not engaging in it. And so you just think, eh, maybe I just won't go this year. Maybe I'll just stay away. 
in the middle of all that ugliness and incivility, here's, here's my concern, because like the audiences I have a chance to, to, to encourage are not people in the world. They're not people who don't understand Christianity and what it's supposed to be for us. It's you. And my concern is that we are not necessarily representing our Jesus very well in the dialogue, like as Christian people, right? In the, have we lost our ability to be civil in public debate? And, and then what we do is we make Jesus less attractive. And if Jesus is nothing else, he is attractive. He's good and he's truthful and, and, he, and, he's, and he's hopeful and he's beautiful. And am I? You saw my two buckets the bucket boy brought out earlier. And, and uh, think about this. Virtually, virtually every room you enter into in the next couple weeks, there's going to be a fire, okay? Like it might be a little fire, like just a little flame, or it might be a raging fire, okay? But there's going to be a fire, and the fire is dissent or division, or strong opinion, or anger, unforgiveness, rage, stubborn, you know, whatever, you know what I'm talking about, right? So you got these two buckets. This one, this bucket represents gasoline. And yes, you can take that to the fire, and yes, you can throw the gasoline on the fire, and yes, you can create a real fire, like a, a raging inferno with your speech on the topic of politics or cultural values or sexuality or, or family division or whatever it is, okay? It's a fire, and you can make it worse, or you can take a green bucket with you, and that represents an extinguisher, a water, for instance, uh, something that, that inhibits the fire. It's like a cleansing agent. It's it brings some peace in a, in, a, in a volatile circumstance. Will you bring civility to the infernal? Will you bring love? Because when it comes to this age of rage and, and outrage and, 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 and everything that's already on fire with the endless blaming and the political stuff and the cancel culture and the other terms we use... What are you going to bring to the fire? Gas and fire bombs? You're going to lob some more shells across the Alps and just hope you hit someone and win, I guess? Or are you going to douse it? Question is, what bucket will you bring to the flame when you feel angry because someone posted something you think stupid and it very well may be stupid, I don't know. When someone pokes the bear over eggnog and, you know, we're called to bring hope. Not to firebomb the village. We're called to bring love and peace, not win the argument. We're called to bring truth and not just jam it down someone's throat along with the holiday ham that they don't want either. Bring the right bucket, Christ in, 
Because love is not rude. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I mean, just can you just stop for a minute? Can you just stop like before, the, you know, you read it, you hear it, you're like seeing it, and you're like, oh, I want so much to just lay them out. See, I'm his. I'm his ambassador. I'm his follower. I walk in his ways according to his will. Not my words, but his words sometimes. And out of my bucket needs to come civility. Being civil may not mean that I change my position, but it may require that I change my attitude toward those who have a different position because it's about a person. See, my, my, my role as his kid is to learn how to disagree without being so disagreeable. Anyone struggling with that lately? Thank you for being honest. Me too. I'll just give you some ideas about this. And there's a lot of things I could have said today. I just, these three made the most sense to me. First of all, listen and be very slow to respond. This is nothing new. These are all biblical concepts. They're clearly taught in the scripture. James says in chapter 1, verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and, and if you were going to read out the, the language in its, in its original form, and completely, very, almost impossibly not doing it slow to be angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So let me stack another one on there. Have the guts to walk away. It takes guts. It takes guts to reconcile people to God and not drive them away from God because I feel a certain way about a certain topic. Because anger and incivility denigrates human beings. Now, now look, I am not asking you to get rid of passion about things that matter. We should be passionate about things that matter to God. We need to be civil in our passion. That means I have an intelligent and well-thought-out view of an issue without attacking another person who has a different view. I share ideas without attacking and creating a bigger chasm between us. Because when I attack them, I globalize it. When I globalize it, I peg human beings as as groupers who all think the same way and all want the same thing. And you know what? I've never met a person who always wants the same thing in the same way as everyone else. That's gasoline. That's trolling. It's ugly. It's unintelligent. It lacks righteousness. See, if the way I argue results in driving people from Jesus, I don't care how self-justified I am. I don't care how righteous I feel. I don't care how right I think I am on the topic. If it is not of Jesus, if it does not represent Jesus, I am not sent by God to be an assassin. I'm sent as his ambassador. So what about righteous anger? Because I can hear you. I know what you're thinking, you know, some of you. 
You're like, didn't Jesus get angry? Didn't he blow up at times and do things out of frustration and, and out, of, out of passion? Sure, he did. In every case with righteousness being behind him. See, here's the thing. We are to be civil, not cowardly. God cares when people are being hurt. It takes enough people to rise up against the devils that anger God. If devils are hurting people, we should be the people who are stepping in to protect them. It should anger us, but here's the problem. I can believe that my outrage is always righteous. Now, you know what you you call a person who believes their righteousness is always righteous? You know what that's called? Self-righteous. Did Jesus like that in people? They put him on a cross, friends. He fought against that. Ben Kacharis says this, for it to be righteous, it has to be righteous. God's righteous anger always is in line with God's righteous glory. Does my anger mirror God's anger? Does it flow from his love and compassion for victimized people who need help? God's anger is always in line with his righteous glory. Jesus did show righteous anger. He cleansed his father's temple from people who were stealing from others. And he did so with passion out of righteousness. I mean, he confronted those Pharisees, those self-righteous people who put religion on a worship pedestal over relationship. He fired off at at a very good friend who was lining up with the enemy concerning his plan to save us. He didn't like what Jesus was proposing. And Jesus took him on with some frustration and truth. But in each instance, God's heart was in play, not his personal agenda or political views or considerable power of influence and persuasion or selfish and short-sighted viewpoints. See, righteous civility means that I represent God's heart. And I don't sin by self-focused and personal cause-driven anger. Because love is civil. And it's hard. But it's right. So Lord, when we come to this moment in this service, we look at you, squarely at you, We get off ourselves. We let go of things that we've been holding on to that are keeping us from being alive in you. We look at our lives and we say, Lord, is there something here that you need to remove? Bitterness, rage, anger, unforgiveness, the other things we talked about today and other things. And we put on compassion, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Because with those things, there's no law against those. And over all these, we put on love. This moment shows us it's possible because you showed us by coming into our world of division that you could unite us to you. That's a good thing to know. It's a good way to live. 
Hey, you know, context matters above all other things when you're reading scripture. Scripture is God's truth, but it's found in a context. And, and I want to remind you what Paul was up against when he wrote this. I mean, here's a man who had been severely treated by pretty much the entire world for his entire adult life as he went in with the gospel. And that he wrote this poem about all these beautiful concepts that can change the world. And that's what I want to encourage you with. This will change the world if we'll have the courage to live in it, you know? Because, because you know, if you were here a few weeks ago, I, I, I gave you some challenging questions. I want to repeat those because I, it's kind of like a love meter, like to say, where am I standing with this? And it takes courage to ask your spouse or your kid or your parent these questions, your best friend who's actually honest with you. Ask him these questions. Am I harsh? Do I have to win? Am I self-centered? Do I have a short fuse? Am I cynical? And man, I, I read through all those, and there are days I'll hang my head on every one of them. You know what I mean? I'm just being honest with you. This is a battle. It's a battle to love people. It takes real effort. But you know what? We're not alone in this. We have help. We have Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living in us if we're one of his people, one of his ambassadors. We're not doing this alone. He'll help you if you'll let him. Let him in. Frederick, Frederick Buechner said this, although kindness isn't holiness, it's awfully close. Let's do some of that this week. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.